0: DarkCast Network. Where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts.
1: This podcast contains adult themes and language and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
0: One and welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 152. Thank you so much for listening. Buiti binafi. Bienvenidos, bitches. Let me tell you, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, sis. cis, able-bodied white dudes what? they just aren't now there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because no just because ted cruz said it does not mean babies are racist Babies are not racist. But you know what is racist? The news. Yeah, him too. (laughs) Now, that's not allegedly, but the news, that one's allegedly. (laughs) And we are
1: Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white.
0: That's not her fault.
1: (laughs) And we're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions of expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294.
0: <laughs> then we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. And we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, ho! Are we talking about today, Beth? Well, I forgot to write this up, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about Richard James White, aka Babyface. He was a gang member in Brooklyn, New
0: York, and uh he killed some people. <laughs> Brooklyn, we go hard and so yeah. does Mr. James White. Now, yeah. um before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing all right.
1: Uh yeah, so tomorrow's my birthday and Fuck. uh Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God. I took the day off of work. Oh
0: my God. I'm (laughs) such an asshole.
1: Well, you're not because I don't really care that much about my birthday. But every
0: year on your birthday, I go over to your desk. I sing you happy birthday. I give you a (laughs) card. It's on my calendar. Oh my God. I feel so terrible. (gasps) Oh my it's, God, it's happiest of birthdays, my well, thank friend. You. Oh and, my uh, gosh. I don't like, have
1: any exciting plans or anything. I'm just going to relax. How about breathing? Yeah, that's all that's you a, need
0: to do. Sounds
1: like fun
0: to just me. Just breathe yeah. and lay down. Maybe yeah, drink, exactly. a, drink a glass of water, but you don't really need to do <laughs> anything else. Just yeah. be. And I hope yes. it's the best birthday ever. Well, thank um, you. you are rested and rejuvenated afterwards. <laughs> so
1: here's Man. a funny, funny, story. What? Um, at work today, I wanted a chocolate cake for my okay. birthday, but I don't. I, you know, I don't want to buy a whole chocolate cake and eat it myself. So right. I brought, I brought one into work,
2: uh-huh. and
1: um, I said it was for.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> he and I have the same birthday. That's right! Yeah, so I said it was for him, and I got these uh, unicorn sprinkles, and I put <gasps> these unicorn sprinkles <laughs> on it, and I found the cheesiest picture of a unicorn that I could find. It said, have a magical birthday. So oh, I put that out for
0: him. I love it! <laughs>
1: <laughs> he loved it. He was really happy.
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, um, great. Well, happiest of birthdays, my friend. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, this is the black Happy birthday song. Happy birthday to you. Happy ooh, birthday. Ooh. Sing it, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, just, just moving stuff. Um yeah. we, we still are unpacking boxes. And um, are you moved into the house? Yeah, we're all moved. We're moved in. Like all of our stuff is here, but it's a lot of it is still in boxes. Because uh, yeah, 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 you're
1: going to be living out of boxes for a little while.
0: Yeah, it's been a long time since I've moved, and I've yeah. never done it with kids before. Yeah, uh, uh, it takes a while. <laughs> it yeah, it's they, going they
1: make everything take ten <laughs> times longer. <laughs> a sales pace yeah. would be
0: an understatement. Uh, yeah, it's going. Very slowly, but it's going, and that's, that's good. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh well, let's get into some listener letters. Okay. Well, hello, angels.
3: hello. Thank
0: you. Mm.
1: What's in that bag, Beth? <laughs> well, I wanted to say thank you to Natural Queen and Touche 1981 for your five-star reviews. Yay, thank yeah. you. Yay. And Touche said they are starting a podcast and may need some pointers. So feel free to reach out to us via email, which is uh, really the best way to get a hold of us.
0: It actually is. yeah <laughs> it's because uh, we both see it and we and but yeah um, and also
1: um I don't know with social media sometimes I just don't pay attention yeah I gotta yeah, yeah
0: I feel you I feel you
1: but I'm in that inbox all day long
0: <laughs> and the uh, gmail oh right 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 because you also have your regular email connected to I do yeah. so everything yeah. goes to my it's pretty regular smart yeah. email. <laughs> you know what? It makes a lot of sense why you're like, I'm just gonna cancel this alert, this Google alert, because it's probably popping up in your email all the time. And my personal email, by the way, has like a hundred thousand emails in
1: it. Mine has a bunch too. I one of my friends was making fun of me because I have so many emails At in there. At this point, I just, there's yeah. no,
0: there's, there's I'm no never no gonna tackle it. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know what? And I set it, I set it up so it would delete emails after like I don't know a year or something. Are you so serious? I, yeah. That automatically deletes emails, but I still have like 10,000 emails in there.
0: No. Oh my God. Wow. That's, that's, that's kind of impressive actually. Way to go here. <laughs> <laughs> uh I just got a couple new buttons that I won't stop pressing. <laughs> you're, them. Sorry, you're just having too much fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, we also have a voicemail from Josh in Arizona. Yeah. So let's play it.
3: Hi, Wendy and Beth. This is Josh from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I am a white male, but I have loved your podcast for many <laughs> years now. Um, I just listened to the episode uh, 149, and uh, you. Table, table road table mesa road and our table table mesa and uh every time i pass that road i really chuckle i just knew that was the time that i needed to call in uh to represent uh arizona um not saying that i should represent arizona by myself but clearly i'm a white male so you know we gotta everyone has to represent but just a small practice. So, oh, please, thank you so
0: much from the bottom of my heart, and please continue doing incredible work. Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> thank Hip you so air much, Wow. Hip-hop air horns for Josh for repping AZ in the best way.
1: Yeah. Um, thank
0: you, Josh. And we yeah. just
1: figured out how to play these while we're listening. <laughs>
0: You know? so we can
1: we can uh, respond in real time I know right
0: oh no that was a, such a beautiful sweet kind um, voicemail Josh and um, just shout out to you for uh, like I said representing and Josh um, is uh, uh, one of our LGBTQ brothers right but yeah. um, as a white male it sounds like he is um, r- you know out there um, being an ally in the best way to yeah. um, the people um, who need him so and that's awesome. just much appreciated we love you Josh yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, we got a uh also a new Patreon, and her name is <laughs> Penelope G. And um since today's case, aka is babyface, I thought I'd do a babyface tune. Oh <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you, Penelope G. Yeah. Thank you, Penelope G. Thank you, Penelope G. (laughs) I kind of messed it up. But anyway, thank you, Penelope G. And here are your air horns. Um, All right, well, we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back.
1: Hi, this is kelly and this is jenna we're the hosts of odfn that's one from murder each week we discuss a true crime murder case and intertwine our unique sense of dark humor each episode relates to a word starting with the letter d the stories we tell are serious and true our opinions are not But be warned, we don't hold back on the details of the case. Or our inappropriate comments and colorful language. Join us every Monday on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode of ODFM.
0: We're on a full ride scholarship to hell. though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a
1: world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder
0: to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's betterhel dot fruit. on level 304. Beth, tell him about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now, do you know who Babyface is? No. Oh! <laughs> He the killer looks exactly like the Pops. St- okay, so he started out as a songwriter. Then he broke out on his own um and he was like Tony Braxton famous. But a dude, remember that okay. era in the 90s where there was a lot of like R&B. So he was yeah. the R- he was the R&B smooth singing kind of guy. So um, this was in the 90s yes okay okay so he's like a multi-platinum artist and songwriter and he wrote he's responsible for like writing songs for the greats including tony braxton and probably like whitney houston and mariah carey and all that stuff um he's i can't
1: believe you don't know who he is no i don't (laughs) i don't sorry
0: that's okay well anyway in
1: the 90s i was listening to alternative rock you know
0: Okay, well, in the 90s, I was listening to it all, including Babyface. And he has his, uh, the again, the killer looks exactly like him. Wow. So it's really weird. That um, is weird. I guess I should get back to, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Remind us, Beth, who's our subject again? Today
1: we're talking about Richard James White, a.k.a. Babyface.
0: All right. Now let's get into some stance. 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 So Richard James White, a.k.a. Babyface, is uh, an African-American or black serial killer and rapist. Um, The reason why he's called a.k.a. Babyface is because he looks like the multi-platinum artist Babyface from the (laughs) 90s. Uh, And just a reminder. uh, Let me go to his Wikipedia page. Baby face. Yeah, billboard. Okay, when can I see you again? Um, it's our anniversary. Hello? Anyone? Uh, Anybody familiar? No? Hello. Oh, my gosh. Well, the blacks will know. The blacks who were around in the 90s will be familiar with babyface. And our subject today uh, looks exactly like him. It's very eerie. Um, His uh, characteristics of his crimes included robberies, revenge, and disputes surrounding gang um, activities and uh, issues, uh, drug disputes. Uh, He had 15 murder victims, three rapes, and a number of of untold shootings. The murders took place between 1992 and 1994, and he was arrested on April 28th, 1994. He was born in 1973. All of his victims were men and murdered via shooting. The crimes took place in New York, Connecticut, Beth's trapping grounds, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, where he was apprehended. Um, And he's been sentenced to life in prison. So no worries uh, (laughs) since the nineties. And I, could only find a few names. So rest in power to the names that I could not locate. I'm not as good at this research game as Beth is. But here are some of the names. Rest in power to all of the kings. But here are the ones named Javier Avila, 22, 22. Omar D. Twenty Seven, Fitzroy Reed Twenty One, uh, Ryan Cambridge Eighteen, and Dodson Sparman Twenty One. So now okay. we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Biff.
1: Well, most of the events described in this episode occurred in Brooklyn, New York, from nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety four. Though the final murder and arrest took place in DeKalb County, Georgia, in nineteen ninety
0: four. The setting is interesting to me because it's New York, it's black, it's uh, right. gangs, and just I'm just thinking. And hip-hop Yeah, it's very hip-hop. Very (laughs) hip-hop. So Brooklyn is a borough of New York City that covers the entire area of Kings County, New York. Kings County is the most populous county in the state, as well as the second most densely populated county in the United States. It is also New York City's most populous borough, with over 2.6 million residents as of 2021. And if it were a city, Brooklyn would be the fourth most populous in the United States, after New York, Los Angeles, and
1: Chicago. The land where Brooklyn, New York sits was the ancestral home of the Lenape people, who we've discussed in previous episodes. They called their homeland Lenapoking, and their communities reached from the lower Hudson region to the Delaware Bay, including portions of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware.
0: The Algonquin-speaking Lenape population around New York Bay and along the lower Hudson River migrated with the Seasons. The Dutch called the numerous bands collectively the River Indians, but also associated different bands with place names that the Lenape didn't use. The Lenape in the Brooklyn area were often referred to in European documents by the variation of the place name Canarsie. Brooklyn is
1: 97 square miles in area of which 73% is land and 27% is water. The borough is the second largest by land area among New York City's boroughs. Brooklyn is basically the southwestern end of Long Island. To the north is Manhattan, and to the east is Queens. Brooklyn's water borders include Jamaica Bay, the Atlantic Ocean, the Narrows,
0: Upper New York Bay, and the East River. That's a that's a whole it's lot, a lot of like a uh, town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so the Dutch were the first Europeans to colonize the area, and the Brooklyn settlement was named after Brooklyn in the Netherlands. It was part of the 17th century colony of the Dutch Republic of New Netherland. The Brooklyn neighborhood of Marine Park was home to North America's first tide mill, which was built by the Dutch. Did they build it themselves though, or... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But I wonder. It is a mill (laughs) driven by the power of tidal water flow, and the foundation can still be seen today. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. After a series of naval wars fought between the English and the Dutch, England ended up with the New Netherland colony in 1664. New Amsterdam, the Dutch settlement that had served as the seat of the colonial government in New Netherland, was then renamed the Province of New York after the English naval commander James, the Duke of York. Brother of the then King Charles II.
0: In New York, got rich jungle where dreams are made of. There's nothing. Oh, you're singing the the white Uh, version, and I'm singing the black version. Oh, no, I was
1: singing uh, Hamilton. New York
0: City. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> Ooh, I need a show tune refresher I'm ashamed so um, Brooklyn became a part of Yorkshire in the province of New York one of the middle colonies of British America which included New York New Jersey Pennsylvania and Delaware in 1683 the area that is now Brooklyn was named King's County after King Charles II By the way, I have a culture corner. I'm sorry. I know this is a long episode, but Jamaica, the country, is part of the Commonwealth of England, and... Uh, they were like, they, I think um, William and Kate were uh, made a trip there or something. But anyway, the Jamaican people were like, "No, thank you. We will. You can keep your colonization to yourselves." And they <laughs> don't want anything else to do with the Queen of England. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it could be, it could be fake news, but I'm just going to go with it because it felt because it just he made me it. smile. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> In 1801, Kings County, New York, was made up of farm estates and small villages, with a total population of less than 6,000 people. And nearly half the county's population was of Dutch heritage. More than one quarter of the inhabitants were enslaved people of African descent, or approximately 1,500 people, plus 300 plus free Black people.
0: I think I answered my question as to who built the mill. The Tide Mill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All of all of the counties in New York State, Kings County, had the largest proportion of households that owned slaves with nearly 60% ownership, far higher than even most Southern states. So d- don't think you g- get off scot-free North. Although <laughs> Kings County families generally own smaller numbers of slaves. So it wasn't a few huge plantations with hundreds of slaves, but lots of white folks with fewer slaves maybe you know one or two in yeah, the house right. which is just No matter what time period, it's not good. It's not good. No matter how you break it down, it's not good. (laughs) Families that
1: did not own slaves themselves would often hire them from their neighbors. The few free Black folks in the community had limited economic options other than farm work alongside their enslaved brethren.
0: Mm. On August 27th, 1776, the Battle of Long Island, also known as the Battle of Brooklyn, was fought, which was the first major battle fought in the American Revolutionary War after independence was declared. And it was the largest of the entire conflict. Hang on a second. Is that what the song? 32,000 troops in New York Harbor. (laughs) Oh my God. Hang on a second. I got to do hip hop air horse (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's keep going.
1: (laughs) British troops forced Continental Army troops under George Washington off the heights near the modern sites of Greenwood Cemetery, Prospect Park, and Grand Army Plaza. The Continental Army positions at Brooklyn Heights were evacuated, leaving the British in control of New York Harbor. There you go. Um,
0: Oh, my God. In the heights. (laughs) I can't stop Lin-Manuel get out of my brain (laughs) while Washington's defeat on the battlefield cast early doubts on his ability as the commander. Oh my God. It's just like the play the tactical withdrawal of all his troops and supplies across the East river in a single night is now seen by historians as one of the most brilliant triumphs. (laughs) Minnie beat us to it. She said, insert your favorite Hamilton reference here. Here, <laughs> done. <laughs> <Check>. Yeah. <laughs> New York City
1: was soon occupied by the British, and it became their military and political base of operations in North America for the remainder of the conflict. The British generally enjoyed a dominant, loyalist sentiment from the residents of Kings County, who did not evacuate, though the region was also the center of an espionage network headed by Washington himself. Hercules Mulligan! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man, I love Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just I'm just I feel like I'm seeing my love for the first time. Rem- remembering that play. seeing it time with you, you saw it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Anyway, the British set up a system of prison ships off the coast of Brooklyn in Wallabout Bay. More American patriots died there than in combat on all of the battlefield engagements of the American Revolutionary War combined. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Now, one result of the Treaty of Paris in 1783 was the evacuation of the British from New York, which was celebrated by New Yorkers into the 20th century. By 1799,
1: a law was passed in New York that granted freedom to anyone born after July 4th, 1799, with the caveat that boys born to enslaved mothers would remain enslaved until the age of 28, while girls would remain so until the age of 25. This essentially set a clock for July 4th, 1827 as the end of slavery in New York.
0: It's kind of interesting now that Ketanji Brown Jackson is on the, she will be, I think, on the Supreme Court. Right. But, um, you know, when progress is made in little tiny increments, increments like this, yeah. it's, it's the dominant cast that is like, well, I mean, what else do you want? You get to be yeah, free. I yeah. Mean, when you're 28. When you're, t- I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on.
1: All you have to do is wait until you're 28. Wait until you're 28 and then pick
0: yourself up by your <laughs> m- magical bootstraps. bootstraps. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, from 17, from, from 1827, 1799 till now, like that is, I guess depending on how you look at it, to me, that's not that long ago. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, in the grand scheme of things. In it's not. the
0: grand scheme. Thank you, my smart yes. friend. Um, <laughs> and that's what she's my favorite white lady. Uh, so, yet by 1820, there were still 879 enslaved people in Kings County, almost exactly equal to the free black population, while just 518 enslaved people remained in New York City, where there was a thriving black community of over 10,000. And
1: that's a free black community.
0: Yes. I'm sorry I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Following the final abolition of slavery in New York in 1827, New York City emerged as one of the largest pre-Civil War metropolitan concentrations of free Black people, and many institutions were established to advance the community. It is the site of the first Black periodical journal, Freedom's Journal, and by the beginning of the American Civil War, there were over 40 Black-owned and operated newspapers throughout the United States.
0: Mm, that's a round cool. of applause. Yeah, no, yeah. that's cool. And they were reporting on issues. Um, well, here we go. Newspapers served both as powerful voice for the abolition lobby in the United States and as a voice of information for the black population of New York City and other metropolitan areas. The African Dorcas Association was also established to provide educational and clothing aid to black youth in the city. However... However, however, <laughs> New Yorkers were
1: less willing to give Black people equal voting rights. What? W- uh, what <laughs> for? <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's shocking. Hmm. Cut to twenty twenty two. They're still <laughs> doing the same still, thing. Still, still fucking with you. <laughs> By the Constitution of 1777, voting was restricted to free men who could satisfy certain property requirements. These property requirements disenfranchised both poor black men and white men.
0: Yeah, but the the lie that they've told poor white people is, well, at least you're not a nigger. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's the truth. Even if people don't say the quiet part out loud, that is... Um, Yeah, Uh, that's what they're saying. An attitude, yes. But the reformed constitution of 1821 eliminated the property requirement for white men, which expanded their franchise. However, it conditioned suffrage for black men by maintaining the property requirement, which most could not meet. So effectively disenfranchised them. And women, of course, were not allowed to vote at all. Right. As late as
1: 1869, a majority of the state's voters cast ballots in favor of retaining property qualifications that kept New York's polls closed to many black men. Black men did not obtain equal voting rights in New York until ratification of the 15th Amendment in 1870.
0: Agitation against Southern slavery was stronger in Brooklyn than in upstate New York, and the city was fervent in the Union cause in the Civil War. After the war, the Henry Ward Beecher Monument was built downtown to honor a famous local abolitionist. A great victory arch was built at what was then the south end of town to celebrate the armed forces. This place is now called Grand Army Plaza.
1: Brooklyn played a major role in supplying troops and material for the American Civil War. As a seaport and a manufacturing center, Brooklyn was well prepared to contribute to the Union's strengths in shipping and manufacturing. The ironclad ship, the Monitor, was built in Brooklyn. An ironclad ship is a steam-propelled warship protected by iron or steel armor
0: plates. You know, um... That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Now, the most well-known regiment to be sent off to war from the city was the 14th Brooklyn Red-Legged Devils, a volunteer <laughs> militia regiment made up of majority of abolitionists from the Brooklyn area. They fought from 1861 to 1860 war, wore red the entire time, and were the only regiment named after a city. That's cool. pretty tight. Yeah. yeah.
1: After the Civil War, the violent rise of Jim Crow in the Deep and Upper South led to the Great Migration from these regions to northern metropolitan areas, including New York City. Brooklyn continued to expand to include other Kings County towns, and by 1896, Brooklyn included all of the towns of Kings County. In 1898, when New York City consolidated, the city of Brooklyn became the borough of Brooklyn.
0: Interesting. was always curious of when why, that, happened that happened and happened. why. Yeah. yeah. By the turn of the century, new Black immigrants were arriving in New York City. The largest number of Black immigrants were English-speaking Caribbeans from islands such as Jamaica, Haiti, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Antigua, Guyana, and Trinidad and Tobago, among others. At the time, these immigrants constituted only 1.3% of the New York City population. But by 1923, they became 12.7% of the city's population. Wow. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Which restaurant are we going to first? (laughs)
3: Many
1: of these Caribbean immigrants were young, unmarried men who had literacy levels above American Black people, and even so some white people. In New York, many of these immigrants entered the service sector. So even though they were more educated, they mm. had to work in the service sector, I working see. as doormen, laborers, and porters. The women often worked in the domestic fields as maids and nannies. Mm. A substantial number of Caribbean immigrants attended night school and pursued higher education while in America.
0: So the majority of Caribbeans were Anglican. And after being denied entry into white Episcopal churches, they formed Black Episcopalian churches, which uh, is where I got married, such as St. Augustine and Christ Church Cathedral in Brooklyn. During World War
1: II, the Brooklyn Navy Yard attracted many Black people to the neighborhood as an opportunity for employment, while the relatively prosperous war economy enabled many of the resident Jews and Italians to move to Queens and Long Island. By
0: 1950, the number of Black people in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Bedford-Stuyvesant, a.k.a. bedford had risen to 155,000, comprising about 55% of the population. In the 1950s, real estate agents and speculators used racist fear tactics to generate white flight in order to turn a profit. As a result, formerly white owned homes were purchased cheap, then resold at higher prices to black families. That's fucked up. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Brooklyn's neighborhoods over time have been
1: dynamic in their ethnic composition. For example, in the early to mid-20th century, Brownsville had a majority of Jewish residents. Since the 1970s, it's been majority Black. Midwood, during the 20th century, was filled with ethnic Irish, then filled with Jewish residents for nearly 50 years and is slowly becoming a Pakistani community. Mm. In 1930, Brooklyn's most populous racial group was white at 97%. By yeah. 1990, the white population was down to 47%.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I give it uh, five stars and zero <laughs> Karens, you know? <laughs> zero Karens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Brooklyn's Black and Caribbean communities are spread throughout much of the borough. Brooklyn's West Indian community is concentrated in the Crown Heights, Flatbush, East Flatbush, Kensington, and Canarsie neighborhoods in central Brooklyn.
1: Brooklyn is home to the largest community of West Indians outside of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Although the largest West Indian groups in Brooklyn are Jamaicans, Guyanese, and Haitians. There are West Indian immigrants from nearly every part of the Caribbean.
0: Yeah. America's largest Garifuna population, by the way, represent, is in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. Crown Heights and Flatbush are home to, by the way, I went to the grocery store the other day in my neighborhood. There's a lot of um, Caribbean people in my neighborhood and there was like goat foot and oxtail and cow head and like I just knew my mom would be so jealous that you could just get this (laughs) stuff at the grocery store so I'm like taking pictures and sending it to her So um, the, it, those kinds of things are really wonderful to have when you yeah. live in a community with immigrants. Is, it's not what you get at the Whole it's Foods, y'all. All it's not white people. <laughs> I'm telling you. <ya. laughs> yeah, so we have a large uh,
1: Asian immigrant uh, population around where I live. Uh-huh. And um, there's just Asian grocery stores, and, like all kinds of Asian food, Yeah, like Japanese, Chinese, Thai, yeah. Vietnamese. It's, it's just awesome. I Lovely. love it. Lovely. Yeah. I love
0: Love it. So Crown Heights and Flatbush are home to many of Brooklyn's West Indian restaurants and bakeries. Oh, speaking of food, Brooklyn has an annual... Can we talk s- about
1: food tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Love food.
0: Mm-mm-mm-mm. Me too, girl. Brooklyn has an annual celebrated carnival in the tradition of the pre-Lenten celebrations in the islands. Started by natives of Trinidad and Tobago, the West Indian Labor Day Parade takes place every Labor Day on Eastern Park. The Brooklyn Academy of Music also holds the Dance Africa Festival in late May. Oh, my God. Sign me up. Featuring street vendors (laughs) and dance performances, showcasing food and culture from all parts of Africa. That sounds awesome amazing. Yeah. And we have to go there.
1: Yes, we must. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Since the opening of the IND Fulton Street Line in 1936, Bed-Stuy has been home to one of the most famous Black communities in the United States and has become a center for Black culture. Jackie Robinson and Jay-Z are both from the neighborhood.
0: Hell yeah. That's the only reason why I know about (laughs) (laughs) Bed-Stuy. Jay-Z talks about it a lot. Now, uh, working class communities may remain prevalent in Brownsville, East New York, Coney Island. Give me a hot dog. While remnants of similar communities in Prospect Heights, Fort Greene and Clinton Hill have endured amid widespread gentrification.
1: Youth gangs have long been a part of New York City life. Gangs offer a sense of identity, camaraderie, and financial incentives. In an article from 2001, a 19-year-old member of the Latin Queens was asked her opinion on why kids join gangs. She said, quote, There are no jobs, no programs for youth. Our schools are falling apart. Our youth bond together for protection and opportunity. Unquote.
0: Yeah, if Congress is looking to a salute for a solution on crime. <laughs> they just spelled it out for you. The kids yeah. are Hello. telling you we They're need what jobs. they need. <laughs> we need programs we need good schools wait till Hello. you get to the next
1: paragraph oh my
0: god there you it's, okay in the same article council member ken fisher chair of the youth services committee said quote i find it troubling that the same day we hear the police testify to an increase in gang members the mayor proposes a 20 million dollar cut in funding for youth services unquote now that Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, that, that's they're talking ridiculous. about b- out of
1: both sides of their face, really. It, yeah,
0: I'm telling yeah. you. And um, this, the problem just gets worse because they keep throwing money at police, and yeah. they need to throw the money elsewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance.
1: That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll
0: put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party
1: for your eyeballs (laughs) as you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force.
0: Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download Juden's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play.
2: A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day
1: ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season.
0: 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't
1: think that they arrested the right people if it's about time somebody's trying to do something.
2: She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack.
3: You know people are gonna judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me again my whole life.
2: You can
1: listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill
0: Renee?
2: I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do?
1: And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching
0: stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Now we're going to get into Richard James White, a.k.a. Babyface's early life. What do you got, Beth? Richard James
1: White was born in 1973, though we were unable to find where. It was likely in Brooklyn, New York, as that is where he spent his childhood.
0: Yeah, so it's also likely that he could be a great migration baby yeah. raised by folks. And that racial generational trauma that has endured since slavery yeah. Um contribute may have contributed i don't know but let's see so there isn't much in the way of specific detail about his childhood but he did have a brother glester who was murdered when richard was 17 glester had been shot and killed on canton and ocean avenues in east flatbush on january twentieth, 1991 um we couldn't find much more in detail than that on his brother's murder but it seems potentially gang related but we don't know for sure
1: yeah Richard himself seemed to have started his gang affiliation at a young age as well. So there must have been some sort of difficulty in their lives that led him and his brother to the substitute family of a gang.
0: Right. That child spelled it out. Here's what we need. Otherwise, we have to find (laughs) it in gangs. Are you listening? So his parents tried to help by moving the family to a nicer house in a quieter middle class neighborhood. But James White kept going back to his old neighborhood and couldn't let Gloucester's death go. At the time of the crimes, Richard was not
1: much taller than 5 feet. Some oh. accounts say he was 5 foot 5. He had a slight build and he looked about 13, even mm-hmm. when he was years older than that, so he acquired the nickname Babyface. We're not going to use this nickname for the most part, however, as it seems that he might have been proud of it.
0: Well, have you seen the singer Babyface? I mean, <laughs> he he was a heartthrob. I'm sure tons of people masturbated to his pictures oh, on geez. their wall. Oh, he geez. is gorgeous. And his voice is like, butter. I mean, he made you want to be in love. I mean, it was just, he's amazing.
1: Anyway. It is also the nickname of a famous gangster from the 1930s,
0: Babyface Nelson. Well, I know I don't know anything about that, but my black (laughs) ass is a huge Babyface (laughs) fan. (laughs) Which is so interesting that you didn't know that. I
1: did not, no. So what's Minnie got to say? So Minnie says, I thought of calling him Fuckface for the episode, (laughs) but thought it might be a bit much. I have mixed feelings because he did some horrible things. But at the same time, he really was just a kid.
0: He, yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the timeline. James White is said to have belonged to the local Parkside gang, which congregated at the south end of Prospect Park, an urban park just north of Flatbush, which is a neighborhood in central Brooklyn. The gang reportedly specialized in stealing from drug dealers.
1: He was first arrested in February 1991 when he was 17 years old after trying to kill a 19-year-old man named Kevin Smith in a Lenox Road barbershop. James White believed that Smith was responsible for the killing of his brother, Gloucester.
0: Wow, so after shooting and wounding Smith, James White was arrested, but he was able to post the $5,000 bail that was required and he did not return for his court date. He simply jumped bail and continued on with his life. Of I didn't know you could do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can. Wow. <laughs> They'll come after you, but oh. you can do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> James White was said to have told acquaintances that he was protected from the police because he'd gone to Jamaica and paid an Obeah practitioner to make him invisible or invincible to his enemies and the police. Oh. Some people in the community believe that he did have a supernatural ability to elude the police because of this visit to the Jamaican Obeah practitioner practitioner.
0: Okay, now, welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy, Beth, and Minnie. (laughs) Obia is a religious practice based on a combination of multiple religions, or a creolization of religions, if you will. It draws on elements of African religion and also reinterprets and Africanizes Christian practices. In some regions of the Caribbean, elements of indigenous and South Indian religions have been incorporated into the practice as well. Sitting at the intersection of politics and spirituality,
1: obeah has been described as a magical art of resistance because it gave its practitioners and those that sought its aid a sense of empowerment in the face of oppression. Despite the constraints and violence, Violence of colonial rule, some Obeah practitioners assumed positions of power within their communities and were respected and revered by both their communities and European colonists who feared the
0: power of Obeah. That's pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, Obeah was first made illegal in Jamaica in 1760. Oh, I was just talking about Jamaica. (laughs) <laughs> keep your colonization and your queen to yourselves <laughs> as part of a sweepingly repressive act passed in the aftermath of Tacky's Rebellion, the largest uprising of enslaved people in the 18th century British colonized Caribbean. The law was a direct response to the fact that the rebellions leaders were advised by Obeah men who attempted to give them courage, solidarity and spiritual protection along with prohibiting enslaved people from holding weapons and restricting their ability to congregate. The law made Obeah a crime punishable by death if done by, quote, a Negro or other slave, unquote. Mm. Those prosecuted
1: under it were enslaved people whose actions, quote, unquote, damaged slavery. (laughs) What? Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it was already a fucked up uh, institution. So, yeah,
1: well, uh, you know, you can't damage slavery because uh, that would be bad. Right. I
0: guess. Dude, it's like it's like your car's already fucked up and somebody rear ends you. And you're like, dude, you fucked up my car. Like your car is already fucked up, sir. <laughs> Either because they were
1: aimed directly at slaveholders or because they harmed other enslaved people and thus might reduce the value of slaveholders' property. Mm. And can I just take a second to say, fuck you, people are not property.
0: Nope, but that's good old American capitalism right there. Yeah. And it's interesting how slavery, the, a lot of people argue that slavery has not really um, been abolished in the United States. It's just transformed into prisons. Yes. Um, and uh, other uh, punitive uh, measures. Anyway, you might remember in the Juan Covington case that Covington complained of being attacked by what he believed were others using curses or evil magic against him. If you're not familiar with Jamaican culture or traditional African culture, Covington's claims, and in this case, James White's claims might just sound like they're nuts, but the traditions that they're referring to are still passed on today in some pockets of Black culture and Jamaican culture, and I can attest to the same. Jamaican
1: culture, influenced as it was by traditional African culture, has a strong connection with religion and with what some might dismissively call magic, but what practitioners or adherents might view more as a spiritual practice and a continued ancestral tie to community strength, as well as some. Sometimes a political protest or statement.
0: Yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, (laughs) Sorry, another tangent. I was, we were driving by a cemetery with my kids and my Uh kids were like, oh my God, that must be full of ghosts. And I was like, ghosts? Those (laughs) are what white people call them. Those are ancestors over there. Yeah. Anyway, the colonized and enslaved peoples on some Caribbean islands. Not only were prohibited from practicing their traditional religions, but were prohibited from using drums in their practice or even in their music and dancing as well because the fucking colonizers <laughs> feared that messages to organize uprisings might be sent That way as well. Interestingly, this is why
1: many forms of African inspired and Caribbean inspired dancing that we see in North America involve movement of the body that mimics the sounds of drums. They couldn't use the drums in their music and dance, so they found a way to express the sound of drums with their bodies instead.
0: Look at that. Uh, The same went with religion. The laws prohibited it, but that just served to strengthen the ties to the ancestral traditions, adherence to traditional belief systems, and to cause it to be passed on in other. Other ways in the culture. This has been Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. I love this one. This is the most in-depth, like well-researched yeah. culture, culture corner corner history yeah, usually of Fruit it's Loops. just uh, Something off the it's dome just, from yep, you. yep. But this one's been fact check, spell check, all the things. Thanks, Minnie. <laughs> When
1: interviewed by a reporter, one acquaintance of James White, his name was Michael Sample and he was 15 at the time, said that James White claimed to have the ability to be invisible Though his friend Lamar Anthony, who was sixteen, corrected him to say that no, James White had the power to be invincible.
0: Oh, okay. A little play on words. I like Mm -hmm. that. Very hip hop. Anyway, Michael replied, quote, same thing, can't kill what you can't see, but I don't think he's invisible. The cops are just blind. I see babyface sometimes. He always rides a bike, but too slick to ever catch him. Have to respect him. Unquote. Hmm. Mm hmm. After jumping bail subsequent to
1: his February 19th, 1991 arrest for the shooting of Kevin Smith, James White continued on with his life of crime.
0: Breaking the law, breaking the law. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of the Kanye West song, guess who's going to jail tonight? Guess who's going to jail tonight? God don't post my bail tonight. I, I,
1: God done post my bail? Something like
0: that. I don't understand
1: all the words. I just think that's funny. That's just what totally it sounded like. post
0: my bail. Yep. <laughs> And that's maybe what Babyface was going going with. On uh, March 29th, 1992, on Ocean Avenue, James White shot and killed Javier Avila, age 22, over a past dispute. In addition, investigators believed he killed Omar D, 27, on August 24th, 1992. Uh, he's on a roll. Fitzroy Reed was 21 years old and killed on January 6th, 1993. And two men, Ryan Cambridge, 18, and Dodson Sparman, 21, on May 21st, 1993. Two people in one day. Yep. Um, um, the local chief of police, Borelli, said that some of the killings were rooted in revenge and disputes within the gang and that others arose from drug disputes. Investigators believe that in
1: addition to the five deaths in Brooklyn, James White was responsible for the wounding of five other people. He was also believed to be one of five people who held up an armored car in Flatbush on April 16, 1993, getting away with $101,000.
0: Isn't that the dream, though? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> You ever see one of them going by and just like, man, if man, I had if the, if only, if only, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Um, That robbery ended in the death of, oh, whoops, uh, I'm sorry, rest in power, uh, of a transit authority worker, Robert Singleton, who was killed by a stray bullet during a gun battle between the guards and the robbers. Robert was on his coffee break when the gun battle began and was shot in the head as 25 shots were traded between the robbers and the guards.
1: Police raided James White's apartment after this and had found among two automatics and three semi-automatic pistols a weapon that matched ballistics from the heist. Police also found 200 action movies like Dirty Harry and Lethal Weapon. Mm. And they hypothesized that he watched them to learn how to be a better criminal. Or, uh, you know, maybe he just liked them.
0: Yeah, maybe he just (laughs) like movies. I don't know. As the motives for murder, informants told police that it wasn't simply revenge for his brother's death. James White apparently also felt challenged that someone else had committed more murders than him. What? So he had to step up his murder game. Goals. (laughs) Hashtag hashtag murder goals. goals. (laughs) Uh, I'm good, thanks.
1: (laughs) In the double slang of Ryan Cambridge, 18, and Dodson Sparman, 21 on may 1st 1993 which occurred at st paul's court and ocean avenue in flatbush james white was said to have sat on the handlebars of a bicycle while being peddled by a friend and with a semi-automatic pistol in each hand and he sprayed the street with gunfire killing the two men and wounding two others wow my my oh
0: my eyebrows shot to the ceiling, and my jaw slammed on the ground. What so, a scene! I'm
1: thinking of those uh, motorcycle murders. You remember from? Oh uh, yes. What's your Bl- face? Blanco. Yes. 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 Um, but it's a bicycle. <laughs>
0: Which but but I mean the core strength that he would have to have to to do that sitting on the handlebars. Oh my god. And operate those weapons (laughs) at the same time. I oh my (laughs) God, that's unreal. Wow. So Whoa.
1: Minnie uh, has an interjection here. She says, "On a bicycle, man these these are just children." Yeah. I mean, I remember playing cops and robbers style games as a kid using a toy cap gun. You guys all know what those are, right? The one with the orange cap. It had like gunpowder in it. What? So when you pulled the trigger, <laughs> it made a pop sound. Yeah, oh, I never I had, ever a, played I never with had a toy like
0: that. No, wow,
1: yeah, what that the old fuck? school, <laughs> old school toy guns. Yeah. It was a cap gun. You'd pull the trigger and it would pop because uh, there was gunpowder in there
0: it. There was gunpowder? Yeah, gun yeah in, just a little
1: tiny, tiny. In the toy? Well, it was <laughs> It was in like strips of paper, like little bubbles uh-huh. in the strips of paper. Or sometimes um, if you got the ones with like these little circles that you would put in the, uh, it's hard to explain. But anyway, yeah, That's it was just not, a little tiny bit of gunpowder. That nuts, <laughs> Yeah, well, old school, man. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah, we used to play with those uh, shooting each other. Uh And uh, Minnie says it just felt like a normal game at the time, shooting at each other with cap guns. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of disturbing when I think back on it now. Mm -hmm. As a child, you don't really have a concept of the consequences of shooting a gun at others. Of the permanency of death, Mm -hmm. the long-term harm it does to families, to communities, Mm and how, in the long run, these kinds of acts will come back to roost in your own home. Mm. And not that I'm saying it's okay that he did these things because he was so young but mm-hmm. when I think about him being on a bicycle like he should have had a paper route or something yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> him yeah being
1: on a bicycle just sends home the message that this is the mind of a child at work
0: here absolutely yeah. absolutely thank you Minnie oh my god hip-hop yeah. air horns for Minnie's fantastic take yeah so anyway back to the story Okay, at about 10.30 p.m. on September 3rd, 1993, James White, along with three other gang members, went to an apartment intending to rob some drug dealers. Instead, they found a 32-year-old mother and six children, ranging from ages 2 to 17, hanging out on the stoop of the house on East 77th Street in a Brooklyn neighborhood known as Canarsie.
1: James White and his friends, all carrying guns, forced the mom and the children into the house where they tied them up and two of the gang members raped two teenage girls. Oh, my God. Yeah. When one of the victims protested, one of the gang members struck her on the head with a gun. They then ransacked the house, taking money and some items and ran.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, awful. Yeah, awful. Horrific. One account said that the ages of the girls were 13, 15 and 19 and that all three were raped by all four of the gang members. So it's possible that that's what actually happened, though only the survivors know for sure. In any event, two
1: days later, sex crimes detectives took the girls with them to look around the neighborhood in the hopes of finding their attackers. They spotted James White, who then fired shots at them. The officers fired back and James White again escaped.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, On September 11th, 1993, he got in a fight with a man not identified in the article and pulled a gun. The man was shot in the leg by a person who was with James White and James White again ran from the police. Officers spotted James White again on September
1: 13th, 1993, in a stolen Acura legend on Rockaway Avenue in Brooklyn and exchanged gunfire again. As James White drove off, the car lost a wheel, but Whoa. he continued driving it at 80 miles per hour for 15 blocks. Oh, oh my God. God. He is invincible. <laughs> he, I, seriously. <laughs> he wow. ultimately got away yet again. This continued to feed his belief that he was invisible Invincible to police and my belief as
0: well. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, you know what? Only wow. in the mind of a child. Yeah. If you, yeah. I mean, really, many really hit the nail on the head because on I don't one, know yeah. if an adult who was sober would um, do all this do kind of stuff. All yeah. this. <laughs> now, on September 23rd, 1993, his grandmother, Sally Ann James White, publicly urged him to give himself up. She said that James White and his brother Gloucester had been very close and that he had been heartbroken when Gloucester had been killed and it changed him.
1: She said that after Gloucester died, he would get upset but refuse to talk. Sometimes he'd cry, but he'd sit down by himself and not talk about it. And that before that, he had been a good kid. And, uh, you know, uh, just thinking back, he wasn't arrested. Uh, He did not have any arrest until Mm. after his brother died. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sally Ann wanted James White to turn himself in because she was afraid for his safety. She was afraid that something he did would get him hurt, maybe even by one of his friends.
0: He did not turn himself in though and he was clearly escalating so the new york city police enlisted the help of officers in several other cities to track down james white they sent information packets on the gang to law enforcement officials in boston baltimore philadelphia rochester toronto and washington cities where james white had been known to go lie low but had no luck locating him that way.
1: Finally, in DeKalb County, Georgia, on April 28th, 1994, Devon Brown, age 24, known as Ricky tikki and also oh. from Brooklyn and James White, now 20, were involved in a minor car collision with Anthony Macklin and his fiancee, Brown and James White were driving their Honda in a shopping center parking lot in DeKalb County when their and Anthony Macklin's car collided. Some accounts say Anthony backed into Brown and James White, and others say that Brown and James White backed into
0: Anthony. Whoa, okay, so one account even described a completely different scenario, reporting that James White and an accomplice named Kitty Ricky. Okay, so (laughs) Kitty Ricky is different than Ricky Ticky. Ricky Ticky. Okay, got it. We're drinking at a Jamaican bar in Stone Mountain, Georgia when they got in a fight with a guy over a girl and ended up going out into a parking lot and shooting him. This account is so unlike the majority of the other accounts that it just sounds completely made up. WTF, were you up against a deadline and just couldn't spend the time to check your facts or even check yourselves before you wrecked yourselves by publishing trash. Basura. <laughs> Man, Minnie is really coming. She's on the fire. Hits. Yeah. yeah, she is on fire.
1: Anyway, whichever way that happened, Brown, James White, and Anthony ended up arguing over the extent of the damage to the vehicles. Because Brown and James White were still trying to evade police, Brown repeatedly asked Anthony and his fiance not to call the police and promised that he and James White would pay for the damage. James White left for a while to try to find $250 to cover the damages, but wasn't successful.
0: Wow. Uh, I'm just thinking, let me just go find $250. I'm yeah, just gonna- be I'm right gonna, I'll be right back uh,
1: yeah I just gotta <laughs> go over here for a little bit <laughs> like pull it out of my ass
0: yeah you'll get it the <laughs> 12th of November. <Neb-y-web-y>. Uh, and <laughs> Anthony's fiancé. That's a Cat Williams joke. Anthony's, Anthony's fiancé tried on one occasion to leave the scene and call police, but Anthony got her to come back. While she was momentarily turned away from the men, she heard the popping sound and turned to see James White holding Anthony from the side and Brown pointing a pistol at him. Brown then got into his car. Anthony fell and James White shot him. Anthony's fiancé hid behind the car. James White got into the car with Brown and the two men fled. Anthony later died of his wounds. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth.
1: Directly after the shooting on April 28th, 1994, James White and Brown fled in a blue Honda, which had Pennsylvania license plates. A few miles away, they abandoned the car and tried to escape on foot.
0: Police chased the two men to a nearby apartment complex where James White gave himself up to the police, though he did not give his true name. He said his name was Kevin Smith, which was the name of the person who James White believed had killed his brother, Glester. Ah, I see what you did there. Police recovered from him two handguns and a switchblade knife that he was carrying and later were able to ascertain his true identity by fingerprinting him.
1: Brown continued to elude police by removing his shirt and cap and posing as a resident on an apartment balcony. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty clever. Yeah. (laughs) But he was arrested the very next day following the fiance's photo identification of him as one of the men who had shot Anthony. Police officer Gaddis also identified Brown as being at the apartment complex during the chase, noting a prominent scar on Brown's abdomen.
0: Bullets and shell casings found at the scene of the crime were identified as fired from one of the guns James White was carrying when he was apprehended. Sergeant Ron Eunice, who was investigating the killing for DeKalb County Police, said, quote, there was an argument and then James White shot Anthony numerous times in the torso, unquote. For three years after
1: his first known murder, James White had eluded officers. The chief of New York City detectives, Joseph R. Borelli, said that at the time that people who knew him told the police that he believes he was untouchable. Chief Borelli said, quote, Pete has told a number of reliable sources that he paid a witch doctor on the island of Jamaica to make him invisible to his enemies and the police. As a result, he has no fear of either. He is extremely dangerous and is known to shoot, given the slightest provocation, Unquote.
0: I told the witch doctor I was a gonna shoot, <laughs> do, 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 do. and then the witch doctor, he told me... <laughs> I'm done. So Sergeant Stephen Sheehan of the Brooklyn South Homicide Squad referred to him as, quote unquote, killing machine, commenting that someone walking down the street and eyeing him the wrong way was enough to ignite his fury.
2: Okay,
0: okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) Brown and James White were both charged with murder in DeKalb County, Georgia, and held without bond in the county jail. No jumping bail this time for James Uh, White.
0: Ah, shucks. Yeah. So now it's time to get into the trial. On June twenty third, 1994, Brown and James White were indicted in DeKalb County for malice murder and felony murder. James White was also indicted for giving a false name to law enforcement.
1: Devon Brown and Richard James White were tried together for the murder of Anthony Macklin. The evidence presented showed that Brown and James White were involved in a minor collision with Anthony and his fiancée in the parking lot of a restaurant.
0: Brown argued that the evidence was insufficient to prove he committed the murder, arguing only that it did not establish his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. His lawyer even tried arguing that he wasn't there at all, even though Anthony's fiancé had clearly seen him there.
1: At trial, he urged that the evidence did not sufficiently identify him as one of the shooters, but an eyewitness identified him. We all know by now what we think of eyewitness testimony, but this time I believe it. Same girl, same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So did the jury, who found Brown guilty of malice murder beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: James White also challenged the sufficiency of the evidence, arguing that ballistics evidence and inconsistencies in testimony showed that only Brown shot Anthony. Way to throw your friend under the bus, James White. (laughs) (laughs) James White also apparently
1: smiled through much of the trial and gave witnesses hard stares. Oh, my God. that did not help him. He had also been fitted with a stun device because in jail, he had reportedly talked about seizing a deputy's gun and blasting his way out of the courthouse. Wow. So the jurors were not aware of this. Blasting his way
0: out of a jail? Wow. Again, he is not... Fully cooked mentally. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, an adult, I don't think, that just just sounds preposterous. Yeah, Yeah. The prosecution was allowed to tell the jury that Brown and James White were wanted in other jurisdictions, but not that the fed suspected James White in as many as 14 murders.
1: The jury considered the eyewitness testimony together with the ballistics evidence connecting the handgun James White was carrying to the murder and found him guilty of malice murder beyond a reasonable doubt. The court directed a verdict of acquittal on James White's charge of giving a false name to a law enforcement officer. I don't know why, but okay, whatever. Yeah, I mean, he did it, but it it doesn't
0: matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) So both Brown and James White were sentenced to life in prison in Georgia on December twelfth, nineteen ninety four. Brown filed a motion for a new trial on January ninth, nineteen ninety four, and was denied on December fifth, nineteen ninety six. James White filed a motion for a new trial on January eleventh, nineteen ninety four, and denied on December fifth, nineteen ninety six. They also both filed appeals, which were denied in nineteen ninety seven. So now we're going to get to where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Well, this is a short one. James White is serving his
1: life sentence in Phillips State Prison in Georgia, and Brown is serving his at Riverbend Correctional Facility.
0: Just around the Riverbend. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you're just full of musicals I, today. I don't know why. Uh, so now we're going to get into our takeaways. Um, I'll read minis, or if okay. you want to. Nope, you go ahead. Okay, so our writer, Minnie, um, says he may have chronologically been an adult when he committed some of these acts, but did he ever grow out of the child way of thinking about the world? Hmm. In a large part, this is children going against children in gangs. How do we counteract this? Help the community recover from this? I mean, we talk about child soldiers in other countries and how heartbreaking that is if it's a foreign thing and we in North America are immune to it. But this is happening in our backyards or even our own front yards. And what are we doing to counteract this? To help families and communities heal and recover? What can we do really? I'm actually asking because I feel kind of helpless to improve the situation. I know the events of this episode happened in like the 90s, but gangs still exist to this day. And there still are kids being drawn into this kind of life. And that's not good for anyone, really. The fact that James White felt it necessary to make himself invisible, invincible, whatever the fuck, by visiting an OBF practitioner is very telling in that it exhibits his own feelings of helplessness, of having a lack of control over his environment. Oh my God god that he was afraid of his environment of his own community what do you do for a person who feels they are living in fear every day of their environment especially when this person is a child coming of age of this environment Minnie, yeah that uh, was fire this yeah this i wow hip hop air horns yeah she did um uh-oh i think i have a second favorite white lady ha. <laughs> Yeah, she nailed it on this
1: one, I think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She really hit it on the head. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that except for that, (laughs) you know. He was in a gang, and it sounds like he was all in and didn't consider any other options, Mm. um, you know, because Mm -hmm. of the circumstances he was in. Right, yeah. And we've already talked about why kids join gangs, and it's not because they're bad seeds. Yeah, Um, or because
0: gangs look like so much fun. Right, right.
1: And uh, another factor uh, for him seems to be that his brother's murder Mm -hmm. kind of um, sent him over the edge or... It was the straw that broke the camel's back, and he yeah. just didn't give a fuck about anything after that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like he didn't get any support either after that, I mean, right. emotionally. Right. His grandma mentioned that he didn't talk about it, and uh, all that repressed emotion,
0: it has to come out somehow. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah, I think there's an element of toxic masculinity here yeah, that I just that wanted too. to. Yeah, I mean, um, I many I I don't know what to say. Many, you're amazing. Well, yeah, me anyway. <laughs> so, uh, it, but uh, yeah, he, he was a young boy who was afraid after something really bad happened in his in his life. Right, and I've heard activists who are trying to do community organizing around um, eradicating gangs um, is that when after somebody is killed who's connected to a gang, there should be resources to swoop in on the communities that are feeling the harm, especially like, in the, within the gangs, the the right. the people who are ang- the, the angriest and the the the, the most hurt yeah, yeah. are more likely to retaliate. Right, spit this really vicious cycle. And so uh, you're right. He didn't have a lot of. Support didn't have anything. After yeah. Any support after that. Um. Yeah. I just I don't have anything to add. I am just flabbergasted by a young man riding on a bicycle with two guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> and Minnie's fire take i don't know what the to do bicycle, anymore
1: the bicycle assas- assassination i'm telling you yeah. and the fact
0: that you don't know you didn't know who baby babyface baby was. Face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: your so, mind is blown this whole episode i'm in
0: shambles <laughs> i'm in shambles uh, <laughs> so now we're gonna get into how not to get murdered so if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this
1: segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to a true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences.
0: Okay, so I was listening to Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast, and she is sponsored by somebody called HelpYouFind.me. And they help you create an if I go missing file. Well, then I hopped over to TikTok and there's a whole if I create a if I go missing file hashtag. Um, Wow. And it's. It's a little bit depressing to think about, but it kind of reminds me of like life insurance. Right. You know, nobody wants to talk about if I die, you're gonna be rich. Right, but, um, right. It it could get help, it could help get you or your loved one found. And it um essentially starts the the detective's investigation for them. Wow. Um, like I said, there's a help you find dot me website where they have a free trial, but it's not free. And right, I didn't even right. bother, it's not, you can try it for free for a little while, but I didn't bother to see how much it really costs. Um, but you could um, create a physical one also. Yeah, yeah. Um, In which you have really important information and details about you, like um, obviously your your age, height, hair color, eye color, recent photos of you, your past, copy of your passport, information about your cars um one thing that i thought was really um useful because different people have their different recipes for your if i go missing and just a couple um significant ones i thought were photos of your like distinguishing marks tattoos or scars right uh, a hair sample and fingerprints and then i thought back my we created a, a if i go missing file for my my one of my kids, when they were a toddler, at this com- community event huh. for to prevent child abuse and child right. abduction in Phoenix. Anyway, um, they took a sample of his hair. I think there's a sample of his spit in there, his fingerprints. Wow, um, just and all of his like date of birth and and age, um, but just information that you can just like give the detectives if something happens. Wow. One person also said on um, the TikTok hashtag to write a note. Like, if I were to go missing, here's where I would go. Or if, you know, I would uh, like a note saying, I would never leave my dog. I would never leave under these circumstances, so there must be something wrong if you're reading right, this note. Right. Um, there's Again, there's a lot of different variations of it, but just something for people to start with yeah. in the event that you go missing. So That's I really like idea. this idea. I don't have all of the tips and tricks, but um, I think it's something to explore to into. for the yeah. listeners. Google yeah. it. Okay, shout out time. <laughs> all right. Now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color, any LGBT LGBTQ folks, any other marginalized folks, um uh or oppressed groups or underrepresented groups or any true crime goodies. I just wanted to shout out um this is not a true crime goodie. The, the show uh Atlanta on FX and Oh yeah, yeah. it's the final season. This show oh, okay. is so special that when it when it's been gone people the people are like so sad. And now that it's returning, it's like bittersweet because it's the last season. Last and it's season. about yeah. yeah, it's so good. Um, it's by Dan- Donald Glover, yeah, um, aka Childish him. Gambino Me yeah. Too. Um, big community fans should like Atlanta. Um, but uh it's uh about these young people in the city of Atlanta and all the wacky stuff that happens to them except this season they are in Europe doing oh so um yeah they say Europe hits different so I'm really excited to see what happens this season anyway Atlanta on FX what do you got
1: all right so I wanted to shout out a podcast called Twin Flames it's a it's a um, limited series so I don't remember how many episodes maybe six episodes something like that okay and it's uh culty <laughs> oh so if you you're into cults and stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh hosted by stephanie beatriz oh, and we don't talk about bruno <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> no, and- <laughs> no 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 <laughs> no and it's about uh a couple named jeff and shalia i think your oh. name is yeah looks um, like it they're a uh, famous i guess a uh, youtube couple yeah they they teach about twin flames Uh um and they have like a a website called twin flames university or something like that and (laughs) yeah they get people uh to like get into their group or whatever it is i i don't really know what it is but it's kind of like a club i don't know but uh people get into it nexium style Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't think these people get together in person so much as it's like an online thing and maybe Mm -hmm. they, uh, exchange messages, maybe there's a message board, something like that. and they i think they do um like zoom videos and things like that so um it, sometimes they might get together physically but i think most of it's done online okay and um they they what they teach is that everybody has a twin flame meaning okay. like a soul a soulmate basically
0: oh okay
1: and um if you know, you find your twin flame, you, you can't let them go. So it's uh so they're like encouraging people to stalk other people. <gasps> it's crazy. It's oh nuts. My yeah. God. Yeah. So wait, it's really wait. interesting. These <laughs>
0: are real this is a real a Real. Thing. Pe- this isn't these are real
1: people. No, oh. no.
0: My God! Yeah,
1: bitch. this was <laughs> wild. Yeah, I just wish it was longer. Oh, <laughs> I wish there were more episodes. It's just
0: six. Ex- oh, maybe they'll yeah. bring it back. Oh my God! Yeah, okay, so check so it out. That's Twin Flames wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a podcast from Wondery. And from Wondery. Ooh, well, you know they're coming with the hits. They're yeah. they're. Ooh, I love a Wondery show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Atlanta on FX. Well. Oh boy, that mm-hmm. is it for tonight. Where can yeah. the people find us, Beth?
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash app or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment, even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website.
0: That's right. Well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
4: Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media Production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money pop and meme culture also aren't off topic a camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place we're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls find the best stories and expand the circle in the process 3am the comedy horror podcast not for the faint or fragile of heart let's go